Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Direct TV stream. I am your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or listening wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, though, please hit that subscribe button. We're trying to get these numbers up, buddy. Today, we have to talk about how little the results actually matter to the CFP committee. Alabama's ranking is suspect. And I'm not talking about Kaiser Souza and talk. We've got to talk with Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker. Let's go. It's the number one ranked show. Off the rip, Purdue stunned number three Michigan State 40 to 29 in West Lafayette. Heisman candidate and Spartan tailback Kenneth Walker III did his part though. 23 rushes for 146 yards and a TD. He did have an uncharacteristic fumble though and MSU QB Peyton Thorne wasn't bad. He completed 20 of 30 for 276 with two TDs and a pick though there were some untimely drops by his receivers. But it wasn't so much that MSU was bad as much as it was that the Boilermakers were good. They picked up 11 of 18 third downs and held the Spartans to 6 of 13. Aiden O'Connell and David Bell went off in the monster win in West Lafayette. O'Connell completed 40 of 54 attempts for 536 passing yards with three TDs. Bell caught 11 of those passes for 217 yards. This was Purdue's second victory against a top five opponent this season alone after knocking off number two Iowa earlier this year. It's the first time the Boilermakers have beaten two top five teams in the Associated Press rankings in the same season in 61 years. And then there's this. The Purdue program has 17 all-time wins against the AP top five opponents that, or against AP top five opponents, excuse me. That's the most in the country. And since 1971, there have been just four teams that have begin or been unranked to beat teams that were ranked inside the top five twice in the same season. One of those is 1978 Missouri. One of those is 1983 Penn State. One of those is Illinois in 2007, and the other, yes, the 2021 Boilermakers. As Producer Cat pointed out earlier this afternoon, Purdue is outstanding at ruining your dream season. But what I ask is, is Purdue as good as Michigan? All right, we got to talk about this. This is a theme throughout the show. 
you'll know. I believe that winning needs to matter. So number seven, Michigan, looks even more silly when it's losses to a number three, Michigan State, who just lost to unranked Purdue 40 to 29. This is an indictment of not so much Michigan, who was overranked, but of the CFP committee and just what those 13 folks think good football looks like. I tell you, man, people tell me all the time, hey, RJ, stop trolling us with your rankings. I'm not. I'm saying to you, winning matters. Don't tell me about no quality losses. There's no such thing unless you are a loser. And I like to think you're here now watching the show. You are not a loser. I'm not a loser. I came to win. Ranking Michigan number seven. After losing to Michigan State with an undefeated Oklahoma right there is a problem. It's a problem associated with bias. You have your six teams that you want to see get an opportunity to play your little Power Five Invitational, but you are taking into account things that don't matter, like branding, like these teams living off their blue blood laurels of what older dudes did and what they can't accomplish. I'm telling you, to look at a number eight Oklahoma who is 9-0 is insulting. To look at a number six Cincinnati who is 9-0 is insulting. When you see a one-loss Oregon, a one-loss Ohio State, now a one-loss Michigan State, and a one-loss Alabama all ranked ahead. Based on what? Your blind eye? I'm telling you, man, you can look at buck scores and do a better job than what you're doing right now. Now, after all that, the Spartans still control their own destiny and get into the Big Ten Championship game. And I want to know, from Mel Tucker, what exactly that's going to take. So I asked him. I'm joined by Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, sir. I am really fiending to watch your running back, Kenneth Walker III, get after it again. The man nicknamed K-9. But coach, I want to want to jump back to January 2021. When this dude came through the door, did you know that this was the guy you're going to stick seven and a half yards deep and then say, hey, look, you're going to carry the load for us, and then we're going to be 8-0 by the month of November? <laughs> i tell you what, I knew that he was a very good player. When he walked in the door, he was one of our most explosive athletes. Uh, he proved himself in the weight room. Uh, every, everyone took notice. Uh, we knew that we were getting a very special player. And in getting those sorts of players to come through the door, Coach, how has it been to just try to impart your culture on that team that was 2-5 and five a year ago, and this is only year two for you. It seems to be very quick to us, but I, I wonder if it feels that quick to you. Well, it was part of our process. You know, from, from day one, we began to shift our culture to, you know, a, a culture of accountability, sense of urgency, attention to detail, uh, unselfishness. And our guys have really uh, bought into that. Uh, the, the guys that we brought in through the portal and then the, the uh, freshmen uh, that we signed uh, when they got here in January or uh, in May, June, uh, they quickly uh, realized that you know, we have a culture established here. There's a certain way that we're going to do things. 
Um, and it's what they actually signed up for. And so um, it hasn't taken long for, for everyone to buy into what we're doing. Um, and we're seeing the, 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 uh, the results right now on the field. You've been coaching for the better part of 25 years, and you've had stops in the NFL. You've had stops at major college football programs other than Michigan State. I wonder what you tell your kids about the difference between what they're doing today and where they would, what they would like to do tomorrow, say, in the NFL. Well, uh, we prepare our players for uh, life after Michigan State, you know, uh, whether it's the National Football League or it's in whatever other career that they aspire to, uh, to pursue. And so, uh, you know, everything we do in terms of our, uh, our culture, uh, it, it really is going to help them be successful in life, uh, you know, beyond Michigan State. Uh, we, have a, we have a program here offensively, defensively, and on special teams that, that, he, that translates well to the National Football League. Uh, our players know that. Uh, and so uh, everything that they're doing here is going to help them beyond Michigan State. One of the things that strikes me also about your career in particular, Coach, is that everywhere you go, you win. Um, does winning just travel? Or is that a part of how you came up? What is it about you specifically that you think has helped you everywhere you go, whether it be working at Georgia, working at Ohio State, working at Alabama, working at Cleveland Browns, working at Chicago Bears, or being the head coach at Michigan State? Well, I've been very blessed and fortunate. I've been around a lot of great uh, people in the game of football. Uh, and uh, I've learned uh, something from every single person that I've worked with. And that's including players. And, you know, in, in order to be successful, there's certain things that you have to do. You know, it takes what it takes. You know, they're not a, they're not a whole lot of choices. Um, and when you, when you have a process that you know, is, that you know works, um, it's just a matter of sticking to it and hammering that process each and every day. And I've been in some very, in some, in some outstanding situations uh, where we've been able to win. We've been able to win championships um, and all of, all of those things that I've learned, uh, all the experiences that, that I've had over the years are really helping us uh, do what we need to do here at Michigan State. One of the more, I thought, inspiring choices that you made when you got to Michigan State was to go get a dude I really love in Scotty Hazleton, defensive coordinator for you. I got to see him up close when he was at Kansas State, and they were able to get a win against my team, the Oklahoma Sooners. But I wonder, what is it about him in particular that helped fortify your defense and really playing the kind of ball that I think of you, I think of your defense as being synonymous with great football? Well, uh, Scotty's... Uh, he's a first-class human being. He's a family guy, and he really cares about young people. He cares about our young men, um, not just as football players, but as people. Um, and that's and that's a prerequisite for uh, being on on our on our coaching staff. And so, uh, Scotty has a passion for the game of football. Uh, he believes in you know high energy, technique, and fundamentals. He wants the players to play smart. He wants them to play fast. He wants them to, 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 to be physical. And he's going to do what our players can do best and put them in position to be successful. And it's day after day after day after day. He's a, he's a great leader. Uh, he's, he's, a great, he's a great teammate, and we're very fortunate to have him here. 
he's one of those guys after my own heart. He, one of my favorite quotes he gave is, as a defensive guy, I watch somebody score 40, and I think we should call the game because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here for that. I'm not here to see somebody score more than 40 in a game. Let's just wow. let's call it good after that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, Coach, I am really interested to see where you all can end up by the end of this year. I'm sure you are too, but you said it takes what it takes. What is it going to take for you all to be where you want to be in the Big Ten Championship, having won the conference and have an opportunity to play for a national championship this year? Yeah, well, we have to play complimentary football. That means offense, defense, and special teams, you know, all working together uh, to get the job done. Uh, and we're going to have to do that consistently for 60 minutes. And it's, it's every day. You know, it's the preparation uh, with on the field, off the field, uh, our rest, our recovery, everything we do, uh, we have to do it at, uh, at an elite level. Um, and that, that's what gives you the chance to win a game. And, and we all know that in order to get to where you need to go, you need to win, you need to win football games. And we have to take them one game at a time. And so uh, each and every day, it's about the aggregation of marginal gains. Everyone in our organization, whether it's the coaches, the support staff, the players, the trainers, equipment, strength and condition, nutrition, everyone's got to get a little bit better every single day. If we can get a little bit better every single day in aggregate, that's how we make the most improvements. And that's how we get to where we want to get to more quickly. And so it's, a, it's really be where your feet are, you know, one step at a time. And the most important thing we do is what's is next. That's the most important. What is next? What do we have to do now? What is important now? Um, and then what do we have to do next? And so if we can stay grounded, we can stay focused, we can go into these, into these, into these games and play complimentary football, then that gives us the best chance to get what we want. Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker, his team is getting better every day in aggregate. And coach, I appreciate you so much for your time here and good luck the rest of the season. Thank you so much. Go green. Thank you, Coach Tucker, for taking time to speak with me here on the number one ranked show. And while today hurts for Spartans and their fans, I need to repeat that MSU can still get to the Big Ten title game. But to do that, they not only need to beat Maryland next week, but they got to beat Ohio State on November 20th. Speaking of Ohio State, they stayed the course, which is a positive because I keep being told, start with yes, it's a positive. The fifth-ranked Buckeyes were 8-1, and one, staved off a late charge by Nebraska, who's 3-7, 26-17 in Lincoln. Now, here's the take on all of this. If beating Nebraska 26-17 is a good win for Ohio State, do not tell me Oklahoma beating Nebraska 23-16 to is a bad win. Now, I am of the opinion that Nebraska is a very good football team. It's one of these eye test teams that y'all really love because 3-7 and seven doesn't really hit the mark when we're talking about how good Nebraska has been. They have played two top five teams at the time, right? Really. Programs to 
what, single digits here? We're talking about barely losing to a Michigan, barely losing to Michigan State, barely losing to Oklahoma, barely losing to Ohio State, all losses. And I get that, right? And I'm in the win or lose type of category when we talk about this stuff. But Adrian Martinez was good. C.J. Stroud was good. Travion Henderson was not as good as we are used to, but he was good, right? This was a very good football game. But what it came down to for me is Ohio State's kicker, Noah Ruggles, went 4-4 on field goals. Nebraska's kicker, 1-3. for three, And that's the difference. Now, you can sit here and try to tell me that the margin is larger than those field goals, but I would tell you, please, think with your mind for a little bit. Do some of this Aaron Rodgers critical thinking. Okay. If you score points, you dictate a different situation. If they score a field goal, they get to kick off. And Ohio State might start from the 25. If they don't score the field goal, you get the ball where they attempted the kick. Like, it's not rocket science on any of this, man. The score dictates how you play the next possession. And if Ohio State knows that it's got a six-point lead, where if Nebraska's kicker had made two field goals, it's tied up at 23. We're talking about a totally different set of circumstances. And Nebraska very much being in a position to try to knock off a top five Ohio State team. Okay? What I'm telling you Nebraska fans is you're good. What I'm telling Ohio State fans is you have to be scared. You have to be scared because your next opponent is the giant killing Purdue Boilermakers. Okay, Aiden O'Connell is absolutely capable of dicing you up, as is David Bell in your secondary. Jeff Brom is going to duct tape, glue, rub some spit on his quarterbacks to find one quarterback out of the three. Aiden O'Connell will throw it, Jack Plummer to run it, and even a little bit of Wildcat thrown in there, right? I also would like to extend a bit of, well, solace to Ohio State fans. Because as bad as the offense looked at time, Jackson Smith and Jigba kept Jamison Williams off the field last year. Okay? And Williams is the best wide receiver at Alabama today. Jackson Smith and Jigba had a career day. 15 catches for 240 yards and a TD. What I'm saying is, Brian Hartline is really good at his job. So you have Garrett Wilson, who is out for reasons that they did not want to disclose. Didn't play in the game, wasn't in Lincoln, okay? But you still had Chris Olave, who went off, who needs a couple more touchdowns to tie David Boston and then pass him for the most career receiving touchdowns by an Ohio State wide receiver. Also, just another way in which I'm telling y'all, David Boston was Megatron before there was Megatron. But you also are looking at Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's number three on that depth chart, right? Most people would tell you Garrett Wilson is a better wide receiver. That's why he's the number two on the depth chart. And yet you could still throw the number one wide receiver in the class of 2020 in Julian Fleming and the number one wide receiver in the class of 2021 in Emeka Egbuka out there if you so chose. And oh, by the way, Marvin Harrison Jr. is there too, okay? You got dudes on offense. But I did want to ponder this question. Did Adrian Martinez outplay C.J. Stroud, given what he meant with his legs and his arm 
for the Nebraska offense. So let's get the box score stuff out of the way right quick. Adrian Martinez was 16 of 31 for 248 with a TD and a pick. Okay? He also led the Huskers in rushing with 51 rush yards on 18 attempts. Okay? C.J. Stroud, 36-54 for 405 with two TDs and two picks, or as one of my buddies said, that dude puts up the gaudiest statistics without looking like he's doing much of anything for that Ohio State offense, to which I'm going, wait a second. Why are people still coming down on C.J. Stroud? You'll know. I am a tremendous C.J. Stroud fan. I'm a tremendous Travion Henderson fan. I'm a fan of the offense in general. But if you assign the stat line that I just read to you to any other quarterback in football, not named C.J. Stroud, not wearing an Ohio State Buckeye uniform, you'd be like, no, that's pretty good. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty stout. What I do take a lot of encouragement from in this is that Ryan Day is not satisfied, okay? He's probably not as upset as many of you are, but some of y'all are a little bit more upset on the regular. But he understands they have not been playing their best football, and yet here they are as a one-loss team with a non-conference loss to the number four team in the country. All they got to do is stay the course, win their games, win the Big Ten Championship, and then they're in. That's how it feels right now because they would get to play that Michigan State team that I hope, if there's justice in the world, falls from number three after losing to unranked Purdue. But I can never tell with the CFP committee because who knows? Michigan State picked up their first quality loss today. You know, like Ohio State did in September against Oregon. Speaking of quality losses, number two Alabama had to hold off a bad LSU 20-14. to you're in a one-score game with an LSU team that's got a lame-duck head coach, a lame-duck coaching staff, and was without these starters on defense alone. Derek Stingley Jr., Eli Ricks, Major Burns, Cordell Flott, Sage Ryan, Allie Gay, Andre Anthony, Mason Smith, and Joseph Evans. But it was 20-14, with LSU tossing a Hail Mary as time expired. You're Alabama. You got Bryce Young. You got the dude, Jamison Williams, who, by the way, showed up to play 10 catches for 160 yards. You got Brian Robinson Jr. You got Evan Neal on the offensive line, who out there doing the splits, jumping up and doing the splits in broad daylight. Okay? Hurting every man who was watching him do the splits. And the best you can do against a bootay list, LSU is 20-14 to 14 at home? Yo, man, do you know how live Ed Orgeron would have been to be able to go out with a W at Bryant-Denny against Alabama? You would not have been able to stop that man. He would have been pure energy. And yet, Bama is getting the benefit of the doubt. And we know this. Because the CFP committee had the audacity to rank this team number two in the country. Which for me means that Oklahoma is going to drop to like number 12 after playing idle really close this week. Or some such CFP committee nonsense. Goodness me. Are you sensing a theme here? Number four, Oregon beat Washington 
26 to 16 in Seattle. Oh my goodness. All right. How do we start with this, man? Let's let's do this. Let's do this. Washington scored as many points against number 4 Oregon in the first quarter as it managed against FCS Montana total. And they did it in 3 minutes of gameplay. Look, I can wax poetic about Travis Dye. I can wax poetic about how Anthony Brown is a better quarterback than many of y'all think. I can wax poetic about how that defense is running around hitting people. But it's Washington. It's Washington with Dylan Morris who is throwing picks into three green jerseys and one white one. Okay? It's Washington who hears footsteps and drops the ball. It's Washington who, with two minutes left to play, had the ball at their own 10. All they got to do is drive 90 yards in those two minutes, go for two, tie up the game. No. No, no, no. We got to overcomplicate this. First, you got Jalen McMillan, who dropped two good passes, at least one that I thought might have picked up the first down. And then, Jimmy Lake. I don't usually like to do this part, but I got to do this part because I'm watching this game. You're down eight. You got fewer than two minutes left to play. You probably are not going to get the ball back. And you choose to punt to Oregon at home. And then, because karma, the snap goes over your punter's head, and they pick up the safety, and instead of being 24-16, it's 26-16, and you got to kick off to Oregon. Now, I think I've made it very clear. I do not think that Oregon is one of the four best teams in college football. But you ought to beat Washington by four touchdowns, dog. They're not good. They haven't been good. And you had Jimmy Lake who gave you two points. And that's why you get the double-digit victory. I'm saying we really got to take a hard look at y'all's eye test. Because that's another one-loss team ranked ahead of undefeated Oklahoma, who is 9-0 and can't get no respect. Number... Mm. Usa. North Carolina knocked off Wake Forest 58-55. This one hurt me in particular. Because me and the 12 Wake Forest alumni did not expect it to go this way. Look, Wake led this game 48-34 to at the start of the fourth quarter. Your mans was sending off the fire tweets. Talking about pay these people their respect before Carolina charged to a 51-48 to lead with two minutes and change left to play. But you know what? Sam Hartman and the gang had an opportunity to go be heroic. Sam Hartman, who until today was very much in the Heisman conversation. Had an opportunity to have a Heisman moment on the road at UNC. And what this man do but turn the ball over on downs? Ty Chandler, though, he went off 200 yards rushing and the coffin nail in Wake's destruction and basically the ACC's CFP hopes. And that's, that's the takeaway from this game for me. I, for one, though, I'm here for the heel turn. Pro-listening stands, y'all stand up. And maybe we'll get one 
from the CFP committee now. We'll get a heel turn from them, perhaps. With its first quality loss to an unranked opponent on the road, just like Alabama, I'd expect the Demon Deacons to be ranked inside the top four right now because that's how the CFP committee has been getting down. They don't care about results. They don't care about whether or not we play football and who wins and who loses. Nah, 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 nah. You go ahead and you give Wake Forest the same sort of respect you give Alabama, you give Ohio State, you give Oregon. Go ahead. Go ahead. We're already being laughed at as a sport. Why don't you make it worse? Number six, Cincinnati. Defeats my alma mater, Tulsa, 28-20. This game was tied up 14-12 at half, which, not coincidentally, was the same score that Cincinnati had against Tulane, who we have all said is not very good. But how did Desmond Ritter respond, especially after losing his top running back in Jerome Ford in the first half? He went and got six on their first possession of the third quarter, stretched the lead, okay? I thought that the University of Tulsa was cooked. And while I continue to tell y'all, Oklahoma is my team. Tulsa is my home. And it very much matters to me what that football team does. And my nephew made the travel roster, went out to the game. I'm sending him all sorts of good vibes. I'm sending his parents all sorts of good vibes. I just want a decent show it. And you know what? I got exactly what I asked for. TU had a chance to force this game into overtime, if not outright win it, in the last four minutes of the game. Okay, I got a University of Tulsa squad that can't pick up a first down inside of their own 10. I got Davis Brin sliding before he goes across the goal line. Like, dog, channel your inner Paul Smith. Dive across that mug. Superman across that mug. John Elway across that mug. Willie Beeman over top that mug. No! Oh, Still had a shot. Still had a shot from the six-inch line. You did what I thought you should do, which is hand the ball to Anthony Watkins in the backfield, tailback. That man goes diving forward, stretch the ball over, and they knock it out of his hand. Cincinnati recovers. I thought he broke the plane, but I'm also from Tulsa. So instead of a heroic comeback to force this game in overtime, I'm staring at a 28 to 20 loss for Tulsa and a 28 to 20 win for Cincinnati where nobody is happy. Do you know why? Have you sensed the theme? The CFP committee is absolutely going to hold Cincinnati for this win. You heard that correctly. Cincinnati is going to get bounced for beating Tulsa. If there was justice in the world, this would be the number three team in the country, if not the number two team in the country. Matter of fact, it would be the number two team in the country because they've got a better win than Oklahoma does by resume. Okay? Number 10, Notre Dame on the road. It's a really good W for you to have. Oklahoma's win is against Texas, who's lost five games this season, which is nearly 
half or yeah, nearly half as many as Oklahoma has won. What I'm saying here is, any way you want to slice up the CFE committee and their rankings, it's going to make everybody upset because we can't see no rhyme or reason, man. Like, I don't know what you're doing here. I've seen Cincinnati beat Tulsa. I saw Michigan State lose to Purdue. Somehow, I don't trust this committee to rank Cincinnati above Michigan State because they rank Michigan ahead of Oklahoma. Michigan's, Michigan's a one-loss team. Oklahoma's an undefeated team. Michigan ain't got nan ranked opponents in the AP, the coach's poll, or otherwise. Make it make, make it make sense. Speaking of making it make sense, Illinois, who is four and six, knocked off CFP ranked number twenty Minnesota, fourteen to six. For its second ranked win this season. Okay. Make this one plain for you. Do you remember when Indijaka challenged T'Challa in ritual combat for the throne? Beat him. Stood over his body. And asked the people witnessing with all sincerity and severity. Is this your king? Is this your king? No. I'm your king, which is exactly what UTSA must have said to the CFP committee because seeing Illinois beat number 20 Minnesota, the same Illinois that UTSA beat and the same Illinois who put money in the bag, put the shimmy in the shag, you ranked that team over UTSA. I can't with this, man. I can't with this. Rank UTSA, you autocratic cowards. Look, a lot of y'all have a problem with how I do my rankings because I choose logic and reason. I choose to be reasonable. I choose to be dispassionate, you know, like Thanos, snapping my fingers and whatnot. I think winning matters. I envision a 16-team playoff bracket. Would I seed an undefeated UTSA above any of these one-loss chumps? Yes, I would. Because winning football games is hard. It's one of the hardest things to do. That's why we recognize it when you do it. It's also uniquely American, okay? This is still a place where we tell folks, if you do everything you're supposed to do, if you win every game, you will have a chance to win the championship. We do that across the board. We say winning matters. We are about competitiveness. We are about, did you show up to play? We tell kids at every single level, it doesn't matter if you win by an inch, by a mile. It doesn't matter who you played or when you played them. It matters that you won the football game. And yet, I got to look at Roadrunners in San Antonio who are currently playing their hearts out against El Paso, trying to keep this unbeaten thing alive. And I got to tell them, that ain't true for you. I got to tell them, their dream doesn't matter to the suits at the Grand Hyatt in Grapevine, Texas. I got to tell them, 
because they ain't going to tell them. I got to tell them because I want the world for them. I love this sport. I love the kids that play this sport. I want to see them get their just due. But we have made a system that is not only too narrow in how we distinguish who's had a great season and who has not, but we have made a system that is only for a select few. And I can't think of anything more un-American than that. Quickly, number one, Georgia stomped out Missouri 43-6. to Take from this, the spread was 40 and a half. And there's a difference between good teams and great teams. I'm joking. I don't, I don't care if they cover or not. I care if they won. Georgia beat Clemson 10-3. Since then, the Dogs have won eight straight by at least 14 points. And you know what? If y'all are looking for a positive to say, hey, we all agree Georgia's the best team in football. So take that, okay? M write that one down. That's your compliment for today, CFP committee. Today was a good day, though, for Texas A&M, who improves to 7-2 with a 20-3 win against top 15 Auburn. I wouldn't have ranked Auburn in the top 15, but they did, so now we got to say it. A&M also earned commitments from the number two overall player and the number one defensive tackle in the 2022 class, Walter Nolan, and wide receiver Chris Marshall. Now, quickly, the best comp for Nolan at 6'4", 325, is probably Dexter Lawrence when he was over at Clemson. He's also from Powell, Tennessee. Shout out. Marshall, though, is a top 100 recruit and a four-star wide receiver who at 6'3", 195, is best comp for me to DeAndre Hopkins. He's from Missouri City, Texas. The additions move A&M to number eight in the composite team rankings and number three in the SEC. That's not a small thing. And I think that if you're AM, you got to feel good about all of this. You're still very much in a position to try to slide into a New Year's Six Bowl. You're in a good spot. But if you're going to tell me that this was an ugly weekend, and you're going to tell me that everything should basically stand pat because nobody looked good except Georgia this weekend, I'm going to ask you, where's that energy for the first nine weeks of the season? Because when you start telling me, it's a pageant contest. I tune out. Because I don't like watching football for a pageant contest. I sure as heck didn't play it for pageant contest. I played it to measure up. To find out how good I am. To find out if I can beat that dude lined up right across from my nose. I learned something about myself in each and every play just like one of those kids do. I wondered though. What lessons were you learning when you played football? When you watched football? Is it how you look in your dress? Or how you look when you look up at the scoreboard? Winning matters. Results matter. Everything else is just a beauty contest. That's our show for today. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream. Our producer is Katherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. Niles Owen is on the live stream switches. And our executive producer is Kristen Herlahik. That is it. 
for me? Doses. <laughs>